Coming up on Stu Does America, why are Latino voters flocking to Donald Trump in the Republican Party? Daniel DiMartino joins me to explain. And we get the latest in leftist voter fraud from Eric Eggers. Right now, you can join us on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel by searching my name, Stu, and I will be the first one there. Or listen to us on podcast at your favorite provider. Leave a rating and a review if you would. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Uh, And we love our audience. We want you to be part of what we're building here at The Blaze. Become a member at blazetv.com slash Stu. And be sure to use the promo code Stu because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And I think the $30 thing might still be active. I mean, we're still counting votes, right? It's supposed to be till the election. I think it's still active. Use the promo code Stu. They'll give you the savings, whatever it is. Uh, you didn't actually expect us to know who the next president is yet, right? <laughs> no way. That's good because we have no idea how long we're going to have to wait to find out. Let's do the day after part two. Stu does America. Ooh, what a crappy sequel. The day after part two. You know, this one's going to be, you know, usually the part two, part twos feel like a lot of times they're kind of throwaways in the series, aren't they? You know, and that's not going to be today. Today might be a little painful. You know, you have to have surgery sometimes and you know you have to do it, but you don't really want to deal with it. That's kind of today. Now, look, there's a lot of talk about voter fraud out there. And we have an entire segment on voter fraud. We're going to go through some of the things you've seen online. We're going to talk about how the left is trying to steal this election, because certainly there's plenty of people trying to do it. But let's kind of start by looking at the world as it is, not how it should be. We might find out that some of these legal challenges make a big difference, uh, but we're going to throw that away for a second and kind of just think about what's going to happen if none of the legal wrangling work out for the Trump uh, campaign. It's important to note that the vote is pretty much pacing like we thought it would be. Uh, You know, there's supposed to be blue waves when the mail-in vote happens and red waves uh, for the the day of vote. That's kind of separate from fraud. A lot of people are looking at this and saying, wait a minute, Trump was way up and now it's getting closer. That was sort of expected. This this right here is like a 70-page document that goes over every single state when you'd expect the vote to come in and, uh, you know, what order. So, you know, the red vote comes first, the blue vote comes second. This is all stuff that was kind of bothering me being on the table, but it's uh, all stuff that we kind of knew going in that this, you know, this was going to look like a weird election. We all knew with COVID and all that other stuff, this is going to be a strange one. And it's been very freaking strange. Um, In large part, uh, this was sort of the doing of Republicans in certain states, like in Pennsylvania, for example, Republicans blocked the efforts to process uh, early vote before election day. That doesn't change the results. It's just basically annoying. Because now it's taking them forever to actually look at the vote. So let's stop here and just take a look at where we are right now. Here's the map of uh, where we are with electoral votes. Currently, we stand at Biden 253 electoral votes, Trump at 214. Uh, So let's go through some of the states. Now, since we last met, uh, a couple of states have been called. Wisconsin, uh, let's look at Wisconsin first. Wisconsin, very close election in Wisconsin once again. Going to be one of the closest states. Uh, Joe Biden has 49.6% of the vote. Donald Trump, 48.9%. we are talking about about 20,000 votes in between them at this moment. However, they do say they have no more votes to uh, to count. Donald Trump has said he's going to go for a... Uh, a recount there 
And you know what? It's his right, and he should go for a recount and make sure that the votes are correct. 20,000 is a big number to overturn in a recount, though. uh, So that's Wisconsin. Uh, Michigan has also been called. Uh, That has Joe Biden at 50.6 percent. Donald Trump, 47.9 percent. That one, there's still some counting going on. And the margins are uh, uh, much too big for a recount uh, to, to overturn them. We're talking, you know, about 148,000 votes right now when it could get a little bit higher as the late vote comes in. And there's all sorts of shenanigans going on in Michigan. We'll get into some of that coming up. But the bottom line is that's already been called. So we're going to count it as called. If one of these legal situations overturns it somehow, we'll, of course, be on that. So let's look at the states that aren't called yet. Start with Nevada. Now, Nevada is one that... It's like they're like the turtles of this campaign. Uh, They are counting votes at a snail's pace and they're coming out very slowly. But right now, Joe Biden leads with forty nine point four percent of the vote against Donald Trump at forty eight point five. The difference is only twelve thousand votes. They did release a new batch of votes in that batch. uh, Donald Trump lost uh, about four thousand further behind Uh, the, the issue here is that Joe Biden is already ahead, and this late vote was expected to be very Democratic. About 90% of the vote here comes from Clark County, and that's where Vegas is. It's a very, you know, it's not a very, very Democratic area compared to some places uh, in in the country, but it leans Democratic. Uh, So what is expected to happen is that Biden, with these late votes, will increase that lead, and he will probably win the state of Nevada. Uh, Arizona is the opposite, really. Uh, Arizona was one of these situations where uh, Joe Biden got out to a big lead and Donald Trump has been chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. Famously, this was called by Fox News very early. Now, when I say very early, it's hard to say that it, it, it affected anyone's vote. I believe it was 1120 Eastern time. So about two hours and 20 minutes after the polls closed, it's possible somebody was still online waiting. um, But the chances of it really having a huge effect on this election, probably not, though it did take the wind out of a lot of people's sails. Uh, Forty point, excuse me, 50.5 for Joe Biden. uh, And Donald Trump is at forty eight point two. You got about a sixty eight thousand vote gap that has been narrowing every day. Honestly, they're going to come pretty. This is going to get to be pretty close. It's going to be pretty close here. Uh, You know, the question is, can Donald Trump get enough votes out of Maricopa County, which is a lot closer than Pima County, for example? It does seem like this one's going to be uh, really, really close when it when it comes to the end. Uh, North Carolina, Donald Trump leads 50.1 to 48.7. A lot of people asking, why the hell did I just call this state? This has been like this forever. Uh, true, there are a, a lot of votes that could come in, however. Um, and and honestly, a lot of these votes could, might actually help Donald Trump. A lot of them could be military ballots. Uh, but they're waiting because there's still a large amount of absentee and mail-in votes that could come in late. They have, I think, until the 10th. Uh, for them to come in. So this one's going to be a slow to call, but all all signs point to Donald Trump winning in North Carolina. Uh, and they may and they just haven't called it yet. Next up is Georgia, where we saw a huge lead for Donald Trump early that has been whittled away and whittled away and whittled away. Right now we have Donald Trump at 49.5 percent, Joe Biden at 49.3 percent. The difference in the vote is now down to, let's see, 13,000. 
I mean, this was something that was in the hundreds of thousands not that long ago. It's been whittled down to about 13,000. There are still a lot of vote out there. I want to say about 47,000 votes still exist. Uh, those votes are largely in blue areas, some of them very blue areas. Um, you know, some of them are 80% Democrat uh, when it comes to the vote. So it's going to be a situation where Joe Biden will continue to close this gap. The question is, will he have enough to get by Donald Trump? We'll talk about that in a second. Pennsylvania, of course, is the big prize. Pennsylvania is uh, is, is is the exaggerated version of what happened in Georgia. Uh, you saw a, a situation where Donald Trump was up by six or seven hundred thousand votes at one point at the at the end of Election Day. This is narrowed and narrowed and narrowed. Now, Donald Trump at 50.2 percent, Joe Biden at 50, uh, 48.7. The difference there is about one hundred thousand votes now. So it's about 80 percent of the lead has gone away uh, for Trump. There's still a lot of vote to be counted and a lot of it does come from blue areas, much of it as well is mail-in vote, which is going to be, uh, is, is tilting very blue in this cycle. And as we know, as Donald Trump kind of convinced a lot of people, uh, if you wanted to vote for Trump, go in person. So that's why he was leading so big, you know, very bigly in the day of vote. But Biden, who told everybody to mail it in, those people, uh, you know, that's what's being counted now, and it's why it leans so left. Uh, to give you a kind of an idea as where those two races stand, Georgia and Pennsylvania, Biden would have to win about 64% of the vote in Georgia to pick off Georgia. Pennsylvania, uh, Biden would have to win about 60% of the vote. In the mail-in vote so far, Biden is winning about 78%. So to kind of give you a sense how difficult that is, I mean, unless that vote percentage changes from what it's been so far, uh, you know, Biden's going to have enough votes to get Pennsylvania unless something changes. And it may. And it may. So how does Trump get to 270 electoral votes from here? Here's where we are right now. 253 for Biden, two, uh, 217 or 214, depending on how you're. I, I'm just calling Alaska because Donald Trump's going to win Alaska. Uh, their vote counts very slow. So many of the organizations have not called that yet. So first of all, what we have is we uh, is Donald Trump must have Pennsylvania or it's over. Okay. Pennsylvania is an absolute must win. Do we have map two? Let's see here. Here's what that looks like. Map two must win Pennsylvania. A loss in Pennsylvania means Joe Biden's the president. Okay. That is how important it is. It's all important. Donald Trump must win Pennsylvania or the election is over. That would get him to 253 to 237. Uh, Again, you got to get to 270 electoral votes to win the election. So how does Donald Trump get there? If he wins Pennsylvania, he's got three ways to do it. First of all, uh, next map, he has to win both eastern states, that's Georgia and North Carolina, winning both of them. And then he needs to pick off either one of the western states. I picked Arizona on this map. I think that's the most likely. That would get him to 279 electoral votes uh, with Nevada to go if he wants to run up the score, if it's possible. That is something that could happen in North Carolina. Again, I think he's going to win. So he would have to win Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia and Arizona or Nevada. That would get him over 270 electoral votes. The other path he can go is he can win both Western states and then Georgia. If he wins Nevada and Arizona, the two Western states that are available, and then also wins Georgia, which is very, very close 
That gets him to 270 electoral votes exactly. He would win 270 to 268, assuming Biden somehow picked off North Carolina, which I do think is unlikely. Or his last path, and this is probably, of course, got to be the craziest one. You assume in 2020 this is the one that's going to happen. He can win both western states again, Nevada and Arizona. And then Trump would, if he could win North Carolina, which he probably will, but then loses Georgia, along with the Pennsylvania win, that gets it to 269 to 2 freaking 69, which I just, it just feels like 2020. That's, that's how this thing would end up. 269, 269. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I, I, I think that one's relatively unlikely, but we'll see. So how likely are all of these things to happen? And I think this is where... We need to take we need to give ourselves a reality check. There's a lot of sources out there. that are going to be very optimistic about this. We talked to Rudy Giuliani, whose of course, job is to make the best case possible for the president as his personal attorney. But he's going around. He's doing all these legal actions. We're going to get into some of that today. And some of that might work. Right. But we're taking that out of the equation right now and trying to give us a reality check on just how are these votes going to come out the way we think they're going to come out. Let's look at look look at, for a way to summarize this. We'll look at predict it. Now, predict it is a betting market, basically an investment market, investment market that shows you know you can bet on outcomes. So you want to here, here's the first one, Georgia. If you want to say if you think Donald Trump is going to win Georgia, you can buy him at 30, 30 cents, which is basically like saying there's a thirty percent chance uh, Donald Trump is going to win Georgia. Now, these are people who a lot of them do this for a living. A lot of people are they're looking at where the vote is currently. They're looking at where the vote is that hasn't been counted yet. They're watching all the updates. They're obsessing over this because this is real money. OK, they're, and it looks, you know, 30 cents is misleading. You can spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on this site. So Donald Trump, they think, is about a 30 percent chance of pulling off Georgia. How about Nevada? Nevada is uh, very difficult. We talked about this before. The late vote very much expected to go towards Biden. Right now, they think Donald Trump has an 8% chance to win in Nevada. Next up, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, a little bit better, but still difficult. Pennsylvania, uh, predicted, believes at this moment he has a 16% chance of winning in Pennsylvania. Over in Arizona, uh, a little bit better. Again, Donald Trump has been making a big comeback there. Uh, he's up to 20 or he's down to 25 uh, percent chance of winning Arizona it was higher earlier in the day. But the count isn't is, isn't incredibly promising there. And then North Carolina, his chance, uh, Donald Trump to win is 91 percent. So that one looks pretty darn freaking solid. All right. So how do you get there? How do you get to 270? Trump isn't done. This isn't over, at least as I record this. If a lot of these media organizations start calling things like Pennsylvania. It's going to be over. It's going to be over quickly. A lot of these media organizations don't want to be the first ones to call it because, I mean, we saw what happened with Fox. People get pissed off when you call their states and, and suck the hope out of their lies. Trump isn't done, but I want to be honest about where we are. If we take these numbers from predicted and act like they're real, and again, they're, they're people winning real or losing real money. Um, while looking at how this will play out, we can kind of get a sense as, uh, as to the overall probability of these events. And again, this is just to get an idea. It's, it's some of these could be totally wrong. I mean, at one point, Donald Trump had a 74 percent chance of winning the presidency. Um, but it is a kind of a good summary uh, because a lot of smart people have real money on the line here. They're looking at how many votes are left, what types of votes are left and where those votes are coming from. 
So if we look at this one, this is the first chance for Donald Trump to win. He has to win both eastern states and either western states. The chances of pulling all four of these states off combined is 1%. 1%. Now, if he goes the other way, he wins both the western states and Georgia. That would get him exactly to 270 and back to the White House. Pulling off all four states there combined the chances are an implied 0.1%. The other map here, uh, this is him winning both Western states uh, and North Carolina. This, this gets him to 269 electoral votes, pulling off all four of those states combined, 0.3%. Now remember, 0.3% doesn't get you a win in that scenario. It only gets you a tie. Uh, I, my guess is the way the, the House kind of played out, Trump would probably win in the House, but still, it's important to kind of understand where we are here. We're in Hail Mary territory, okay? People say, you know, the Trump campaign is going for an inside straight and Texas hold them. The odds of getting an inside straight are about 9%. Trump's best chance here, according to these numbers, is 1%. What Trump basically needs at this point is a miracle. You know, maybe the votes go the right way. Uh, maybe a major legal victory comes around and changes all of this math. It's possible. I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's worth kind of being prepared for what is likely coming. We're probably going to be dealing with a President Joe Biden come January. I am not happy to bring you this news. And it's not final. It's not final. You know, it's 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 still close. And I'm not trying to look at the people who watch the show want the truth. And even if it sucks. So I'm giving it to you. Luckily, no liberals watch this show, so they won't be happy about it. I will say it's not final and, and it is close um, to final. And that's something that we need to internalize and be prepared, because if there is a president, Joe Biden, uh, hopefully with a Republican Senate. We're going to have a lot of work to do. We're going to have a lot of work to do to make sure that Joe Biden doesn't screw this country up any worse than it already is. So I don't say that in any happy way, but I did think it was important to go through. As I went through it today, I realized this is going to be really freaking hard. So we will look at that and we'll get, look a little bit at the Senate and the House later on. We will go through all the stuff with the fraud and we'll have some really interesting things, I think, on the positive moves that were made in this election. It's not all bad news. We'll give you that coming up in just a minute. Uh, What can make you more depressed than that? How about not eating? Yes, I think every time I think about dieting, I think about, geez, I, I really... I really don't want to diet. I just want to eat anything. This is the type of day where this kicks in. Today, though, for me, is a fast blast day. Fast blast is intermittent fasting. And it's one of those things where I've kind of gone through up to this election eating nonstop because I get stressed and I just eat and eat and eat and eat. So now it's time to take off the fat of the election and hopefully turn it around and, and do some damage. The good thing about fast blast is it's easy to get inspired by a fast blast because if you make through... Make it, you know, make it through a day or two, those first couple days. Sometimes you get those moments where it's a little bit difficult. 
But if you can make it through those first couple days, you get inspired because you see the weight falling off. You see the number on that scale changing every single day. Fast Blast has an app called Fasten. And, uh, you know, actually, do I have the thing here? This will be interesting to show you. This is um, the Fasten app. And what they kind of do is gamify weight loss. Like, they kind of give you, like, this is the cool thing. You kind of kind of see the chart. Like it fills up the ring. I don't know if you can see that. But as it fills it up the ring, when you hit the end of this, you kind of get the alert. You've actually, it says right at the top, it's being very encouraging. It says you're almost done. Uh, that's, what it, that's intermittent fasting. Uh, you get through a certain period of the day, you can eat the other parts of the day. We always tell you to do your own homework. I uh, urge you to learn, uh, learn more about fasting from the Fasten app, F-A-S-T-E-N. It's fastblast.com slash blaze. You can get the free app, Fasten, or you can just go to your app store, search for F-A-S-T-E-N, pick it up. Fastblast.com slash blaze is the place to go. Fastblast.com slash blaze. All right, let's bring on Eric Eggers. He's the research director for Peter Schweizer's Government Accountability Institute and the author of Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. Eric, they're in the middle of stealing this one. We can't move on to the next one yet. Well, you know, you have to blame the publisher for that one. I didn't pick the title. <laughs> uh, so here we are in the middle of uh, a gigantic presidential election. There are reports of fraud kind of everywhere right now. Um, what do we know about what's going on so far? Well, what we know is we have a system with baked in vulnerabilities at almost every level, whether it's at the voter registration level, where the Supreme Court has cited statistics that say 24 million voter registrations in this country are wrong. And then in the middle of a pandemic, people, I think, you know, in the name of safety, decided that they wanted to mail a lot of people ballots. Uh, or allow people to you know, uh, be sent an absentee ballot request form. And what that did is it brought all those erroneous voter registrations into play. So now you have a system that was ill-equipped to handle the influx of mail-in ballots that we saw in primaries, and you add to that the registration errors. And so I think that's one of the reasons why people are raising questions, especially in areas like Pennsylvania and Michigan, with documented histories of fraud problems from elected officials that are in tasked with actually overseeing elections. So, uh, you know, those are some of the things that I'm concerned about and I think others are as well. Uh, so you bring up the, the registrations. There's millions of problematic voter registrations around the country. Uh, we know that. Uh, in a normal election, right, generally speaking, the person who is registered to vote um, maybe in the wrong state or maybe is passed away, they're not going to show up to vote. Uh, in this one, the fraud is, is there's a much bigger window to throw the fraud through here. It's a lot easier to pull off. Well, you know, I think given the fact that it's a pandemic, everyone's taking physical fitness a little bit more seriously. So the dead people are more active, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, but, I, but I think like to, to the point, Stu, right, the issue is, is that when you have fraudulent error, uh, fraudulent registrations, like how easily are those exploited? And one of the things I talked about in the book is the city of New York sent undercover agents to a sting operation, try to cast ballots on behalf of people they identified were fraudulent registrants, right? So people that were dead, people that had moved, people that were felons. And they attempted to cast a total of 63 ballots. 61 of those 63 times, they were successful. Wow. And one of the only two times they weren't successful was because they were trying to cast a ballot on behalf of a felon, right? Someone's incarcerated upstate and the felon's mother happened to be working at the polling place that day. So, I mean, so what that what that demonstrates for us is that flawed registrations can be easily exploited if people are motivated enough to do it. 
And I think, you know, I hate to say it, but you look around the country in the last few months and you've seen people blatantly disregarding property law when it comes to some of the rioting, some of the looting that's happened. I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that people might also be willing to violate electoral law, considering it's far less likely to be caught and there's virtually no consequences. We're told, though, Eric, that there is absolutely no evidence of fraud. Uh, the, you know, we have no cases, no widespread, no systemic fraud has, has been detected. This is just a boogeyman of the right. Well, those are obviously among the millions of people that haven't read my books, too. <laughs> uh, but also, I would say that, you know, this idea that for how widespread does fraud need to be to swing an election? You know, I'm old enough to remember a presidential election uh, changing because of 537 votes in mm-hmm. Florida, where I live. And actually, the whole reason why I even wrote the book was we did a study after the 2016 election just to examine one form of voting, uh, voter fraud or election fraud, and that's like double voting. So the idea that somebody could cast a ballot in one state and cast a second ballot in a different state. And we found over 2,000 instances of double voting in Florida in 2016 alone. So that's four times the margin of victory of a presidential election this century. And as we're all seeing in real time, the margins in many states are getting incredibly small. So how widespread does it need to be to impact an election? I think we're going to see that margins don't have to be big, period, for a presidential election. And when you have systems in place where there's baked in vulnerabilities, I think the reality is it just makes fraud that much easier to occur, especially when you have this massive increase in absentee or mail-in balloting which even the New York Times has said is the form that's by far the most susceptible to fraud. Isn't this too, isn't it true too? I mean, like you're looking at fraud, like inherent in the word fraud is you're trying to make sure others don't uncover it. I mean, so whatever evidence we have of fraud are just people who aren't good at fraud. It's a great point. Um, You know, the reality is, is that, and that's why the voter registrations are so important because once you're registered to vote, it's impossible to detect whose ballot is whose, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is, is that with states that have same day registration, they, they oftentimes a full audit of whether or not those are legal registrants happens way after the fact. And in states like Minnesota, where they have done some small sampling, they found lots of problems in terms of the data, the people that registered to vote on the same day give. So the, the challenge and the concern is that, yeah, once you get registered to vote, then it's impossible to detect whether or not that's a legally cast ballot or not. States don't talk to one another enough, and that's where a lot of the problems come from. Uh, We're only a couple days past this election, so we we don't know yet what is legitimate fraud and what are just rumors at this point. I mean, it's up to the Trump campaign, really, to go after this with all the legal claims and try to prove this stuff. Um, How problematic is it, though, in this era, where you do see massive claims of fraud made on social media, videos taken out of context. People kind of like, look at this graph. I see a line straight up. That must be fraud. People are all trying to uncover this on their own for, for good motivations. Like they want to they make sure the election is legitimate. But I think it might muddle the, muddy the waters a little bit when trying to find out what is actually fraud. No, it's an excellent point. And I do think that, uh, look, as somebody that's in the business of talking about voter fraud, Uh, Obviously, as you noted, there's already a lot of headwinds in terms of the perception that it's not very widespread. So it's kind of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, I think people have been encouraged, and I've certainly encouraged people, if you do see something that you think is potentially questionable or susceptible to fraud, like absolutely grab your cell phone, take a picture of it. Like the only way to sort of really uncover it is to document and expose. But at the same time, right, I try to work very hard 
to try to be responsible with my claims, right? Like I didn't get up Wednesday morning and say, you know what I'd like to do today? <laughs> Actively undermine confidence in American democracy. <laughs> uh, but, but so, I, so I think, but I do think that there are very hard questions to ask and, uh, you know, tough things to uncover. So you're right. But sort of navigating between, you know, these, these bags of burning ballots and the stop all the counting, uh, tweets, some of whom come from high ranking elected <laughs> officials, mm-hmm. uh, you know, isn't necessarily helpful to having an honest, but I think important conversation about the severity of the issue. Uh, Eric, you know, as we're kind of looking at all of this and as it's kind of like flowing down, you know, around us, we're trying to figure out what's true and what's not. And, and one of the things I think is the big problem here is we have a, a system of elections that is so convoluted. You talk about uh, you talk about um, faith in the in, in the American you know system of democracy inside of our constitutional republic. Well, I can understand why people are frustrated. Like I look at this, and you, you see people saying, "Wait a minute! They can accept ballots six days after the election. You know, they can count ballots 10, 12 days after the election." You know, a lot of people, and this was all reported beforehand. Say, you know, look at the way. These votes are coming in. Donald Trump with this big lead in Pennsylvania and it gets it whittled away day after day. You know, people are saying, well, they just found another couple hundred thousand votes. Well, not I mean, at least as we know at this point, that's not what happened. Like this was this was all supposed to be this is the way it was going to come down. It was the way they told us it was going to come down earlier. Is there a way, is there a solution to this to make people uh, feel as if they're getting a legitimate vote? And how much of, of rooting out real fraud is a part of that picture? Yeah, it's a great question. I think one of the good things that's come of all this, ironically, is that there's going to be a lot of lawyers involved, right? Mm. So which means there'll be a lot of scrutiny on the process and a lot of vetting. Because I think these are going to be so close, there will probably be recounts and full audits, hopefully, because the stakes are obviously so high. Uh, You know, the trend that these ballots that come in by a certain methodology that happened to break for Democrats, that's not new. California became the first state to legalize ballot harvesting, which is the third party solicitation, collection and delivery of ballots. And that's one of the reasons why they saw, you know, big leads for Republicans swing to Democrats. A lot of people, including myself, said, hey, you know, that's a trend worth monitoring. Californians, the Republican Party actually then sort of adopted some of the same tactics. So, uh, you know, what we're seeing now in Pennsylvania, I think the biggest thing I'm concerned by is the ruling by the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court that said, yeah, we'll accept ballots a few days after the election unless there's a postal mark suggesting that it was mailed after election day. But that left open the possibility that ballots without postmarks could be accepted. Uh, so, you know, I think that's one of those issues that lawyers are going to get behind. The big trend that I think conservatives or Republicans always sort of advocate for in these scenarios is whatever the rules were on the day the game started, right, in this case, the election, those need to be the rules throughout. And it always seems to be people advocating for changing the rules just based on circumstances. So that would be the one kind of key principle that I encourage people to pay attention to. Are the rules going to be strict and enforced and consistent? And that's maybe where some of the stuff that happened in Pennsylvania is a little troubling. Okay, uh, Eric, one more. Is there any one specific thing uh, that you've seen so far that is really concerning to you? Have you, uh, I mean, is there anything that you've seen from the past that you see being repeated here in 2020? Well, Pennsylvania, things are coming down, you know, close in Pennsylvania. In 2016, Pennsylvania's Secretary of State, the top elections official in the state, you know, quietly resigned and subsequent documentation would actually reveal that they were fired because they presided over this glitch in the computer that 
sort of, according to the reports, allowed for illegal immigrants to vote. So Pennsylvania has this track record of mm. problems, including having an elections judge that was arrested this spring for literally stuffing a ballot box. So, you know, I'm certainly open to the idea that a certain type of ballot that maybe is being counted last is going to trend more towards Joe Biden. That's one of the reasons why we're seeing swings in the numbers. But it's also true that Pennsylvania and Philadelphia specifically do have a problem with ensuring only legal votes are cast and counted. And so I think, it, you know, like both things can be true mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately up to the lawyers and the courts to decide you know, who gets to make the final decisions. Eric Eggers, a research director for the Government Accountability Institute and uh, author of the book Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. And I'm going to just add parenthetically, quite possibly this one as well. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks, Stu. All right. Back in a second. So we're just talking about fraud, and we started the show, though, talking about what happens if none of that stuff works. What if none of it gets, like, what's the score of the game if the refs referee really poorly? And we kind of went through uh, that sort of thing, and it it's wasn't great news, honestly. However, there, it wasn't all bad news in the election. This actually is a really good election for Republicans, a surprisingly good one for Republicans uh, outside of the presidential side. Let me give you the Senate. Right now, uh, we have it at 4847 with the Republicans. Now, how do they get uh, further than this? Well, um, there's a couple states that are still to be called. First of all, Alaska is almost definitely going to go to the Republicans. That would put them at 49 seats. Now, if Biden is president, you got to get to 51. How do you do it? First of all, North Carolina. It looks like, looks like Tom Tillis is going to hold on there, which is a bit of a surprise. Tillis is at 48.7%. Cal Cunningham at 46.9%. Uh, yeah, the sexting scandal didn't, didn't help. Didn't help Cal, apparently. Uh, so it looks like Tillis will hold on there. That would get you to 50. What is crazy about this is over in Georgia. Now, look at this it's Georgia race right now. David Perdue, the way these work in Georgia, you have to get to 50% or you go to a runoff. David Perdue is currently at 49.98%. I mean, come on. If you can get to 50, that gets you 50%. That gets you to 51 senators. Republicans hold the Senate. If he does not get above 50, which people kind of think he will not because he's below it already. The votes are going against Republicans right now. That would mean we have two runoffs to decide the entire Senate on January 5th. Can you imagine the money that's going to pour in? Let me quickly touch on the House as well. David Barton said this, that it's going to be pretty close. And look, it is going to be pretty close. Right now, it's 203 to 186. Other sites have it a little bit higher. I don't think Republicans will get to 218 and control the House, but they're going to have a very, very close call there. Uh, so that's pretty encouraging. Back in a second. What do millions of Americans, three former U.S. presidents, and this sexy man you're looking at right now have in common? Oh, well, we all agree that Bolin Branch sheets are the softest and most comfortable pure organic cotton sheets on earth. I love Bolin Branch. They're awesome. They are rain-fed, pesticide-free. have all the stuff that you're supposed to like. I have the highest organic certification. All I know is they're really freaking soft, and I like sleeping on them. Uh, and they sell direct to you. So Bolin Branch sheets start at just $160. They're $1,000 quality sheets for a fraction of the price. And you can sleep on them for a month risk-free. Right now, you'll get $50 off any sheet set at BolandBranch.com with the promo code STU. Spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code STU for 50 bucks 
bucks off. Don't forget the promo codes, too, because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Bullandbranch.com. Promo code is Stu. Restrictions may apply. Happy to welcome to the program Daniel DiMartino. He's an economist and associate contributor for Young Voices. Uh, Daniel, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Stu. So we're told uh, that Donald Trump is the most racist, racisty man of all time. And oddly, it seems like Hispanic voters, Latino voters, were able to look past his racism and 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 have one of the highest uh, percentages for a Republican uh, presidential candidate in quite a while. Is that true? Did that actually happen? Did it materialize? Yes, uh, Donald Trump, according to the exit polls from most of the news agencies uh, that have released them at least, uh, obtained at least uh, uh, 35% of the Hispanic vote nationwide. That is at least, uh, we, it's very different from state in Florida. He tied with Joe Biden for the Hispanic vote. Hmm. In Texas, he won over 40%. But this was not just uh, a phenomenon, which is what the left is trying to explain now of Cubans or Venezuelans, uh, you know, Venezuelans like myself, but he improved over the Hispanic vote everywhere, in Ohio, in Georgia, in South Texas, in the border with Mexico. This is Hispanics from all walks of life. So what do you what why did that happen? I mean, because I, I mean, there is a logical thing that, that the left and the media has been saying for a long time, which is, you know, look, the, Donald Trump is tough on the border uh, there. Everyone calls him you know, racist and hateful all the time. Why would Hispanic voters vote for Donald Trump? There are three main reasons, I think. And, and those are one that he made a conscious and coordinated effort to win the Hispanic vote. Uh, he had an amazing campaign team that targeted Hispanic voters, not based on the issue of immigration alone, which is actually not the top priority for Hispanics, uh, but on taxes, on on regulations, on their on jobs, on absolutely everything, and bilingual ads, by the way. Uh, they put great music. You saw the latest ad that they showed in Miami that was a huge success, and now everybody's singing the song. Very different from Joe Biden that comes to a campaign event and he just starts playing Despacito from his phone, thinking that that's, that's what's gonna get him to win the Hispanic vote. So he did a conscious effort. He also uh, applied policies. He, he pushed for policies during his administration that appealed to the Hispanic vote, understanding that the Hispanic vote is not a, a, a monolith, but it's actually different communities from different countries, right? So with Venezuelans, he stood up to the Venezuelan socialist dictatorship. Same with the Cubans with Cuba, with Nicaragua, with Mexico. He had good relations with the president of Mexico. And then he pursued a trade deal with the USMCA that was very popular. So that kind of policies that were targeted to different groups was the, uh, was the thing that got him the vote. And the third factor was that the Democrats only argument against Trump was that he's a racist and an anti, anti-immigration or anti-Latinos, uh, the same argument they had from 2016, but this time their argument ran out of uh, fuel because this time Trump has been president for four years and none of their ridiculous claims materialized. Yeah, and, th- and that's a big thing. I mean, you, you make these big scare tactics in the first campaign, he wins, they don't happen, then what is kind of the issue. I'm really glad you brought up the, uh, to go back to touch on immigration one more time. 
there's this thing that like, you know, liberal elites in, you know, New York do, which is like, well, what do Hispanics think? The one time I think about them is when they're when they're immigrating. And so therefore, immigration is what they care about. That's not they're actually people. And I, I've always found that to be very insulting. You know, they, they, these are these are people who have all sorts of varying interests and care about many of the same things that everybody else does. Yeah, you know, Hispanics are one of the most entrepreneurial groups of the population. Mm-hmm. So taxes and regulation actually matter a lot for for us. And so I think that that's, that was a big factor for Trump. Now, immigration, it's true that it's not the, the most important factor for when it comes to voting, but it is an important factor when it comes to, to your family, right? So sure. many Latinos have dreamers as family members and and other types of you know legal immigrants in this case not just illegals who brought burning as as child children so immigration is important and i think that the showing of the hispanic vote for trump this election and not just the hispanic the you know any kind of minority asians too which many of them are immigrants um shows that the GOP need not be concerned about an increase in immigrants in the population as voters, that they can actually win their votes and beat the Democrats in their game. Yeah. And, you know, that that's a great point. I mean, I don't know whenever, when Republicans ever just kind of gave up. They're like, oh, well, this group doesn't like us, so we're never going to talk about them again. And this group doesn't like us, so we're never going to think about that. Like the whole point is these ideas are supposed to be persuasive. And I'm glad that the Republicans and Donald Trump, you know, for for some flaws that he does have, he at least outwardly came out and, and tried to do that. Um, I think another big part of this, too, is voters, in my mind, a lot of times have this one big line. Like, I, I can vote for that person, but if he's against abortion, I can't do it. it. Socialism, it has to be a bright line for many groups, Cuba and Venezuelans in particular. But, I mean, there's all sorts of socialism uh, in Central America that has to affect voters who have come here and people who have immigrated here and have said, look, I want to get away from that. I don't want this. We have about 30 seconds. What, is that a determining factor, do you think? It is a determining factor, and it's not just for Cubans and Venezuelans. It is also for Nicaraguans. It is also for Colombians. In fact, the Trump campaign did a really good job showing that the socialists in Colombia, who are allied with the Hugo Chavez uh, and Maduro regime in, in Venezuela, were actually endorsing Joe Biden for president. Colombians in the United States don't want that. They don't want the United States to become a socialist country. And they understand Joe Biden is not a socialist, but they also understand that Joe Biden is going to name socialist in his administration. Mm-hmm. And we don't want any of that. So that's why they voted for Donald Trump. That's great. I mean, it might not have been enough this time, but it is certainly something big to, to build on, I think, for Republicans going forward. Daniel Martino, economist and associate contributor for Young Voices. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. All right. Back in a second. So did you know that the average American has 97 points they can add to their credit score and have absolutely no idea how to get them? ScoreMaster is the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. If you're going to go out, you're going to go buy a car, you're going to go buy a house, you're going to go apply for a job even. You want to get your credit score as high as possible to take advantage of the higher score and the lower rates. The average ScoreMaster user raises their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less. It's a really easy sign-up. You go on, you, 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 put, you put it on there, and, and basically they'll show you how many plus points you can get in, like, minutes. 
And then you are in control of your finances, not the banks. Enroll in minutes and see how many plus points you can uh, pull down from ScoreMaster. Go to scoremaster.com slash stew, scoremaster.com slash stew. The slash stew part of the address is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Scoremaster.com slash stew. Get your credit score where it should be. Scoremaster.com slash stew. None of this stuff would happen if people would learn before they vote. You know, learn, then vote. The order is important. People keep wanting to vote. And then maybe they'll learn later on. No, learn, then vote.com. Learn, then vote. The order is important. You can pick it up now at learnthenvote.com. We will uh, see you tomorrow.